Greetings, everyone, and welcome to WriteBrain, a podcast about writing and crowdfunded publishing. Welcome to Write Brains. My name is J.F. Dubow. I am your host, or one of your hosts, because I have another host. I have a co-host. His name is Paul Inman, the author of Ageless, being published on Inkshares. Paul, how are you? I'm doing well, and let's not leave you out, J.F., the author of The Life Engineered, also being published on Inkshares. What a coincidence. <laughs> I know. And a podcast that is about crowdfunding and writing and ink shares <laughs> what coincidence well i like to think that it's not necessarily about ink shares as a company but more that we we focus and feature some of uh some of the talent that is uh being displayed and put uh, put on sale on ink shares and that's what really interests me i mean don't get me wrong i love ink shares but there's it's not a business podcast so to speak it's, it's very much a, a literature writing and a crowdfunding pod- podcast we are um, Inkshares authors, and we like to support the other Inkshares authors, but we are not affiliated with Inkshares <laughs> by any means. So I want to apologize in advance if I sound tired. It's cause over the weekend, I've decided to put a blender to my brain, and it's worked wonders to make me uh, less coherent than usual. So I apologize less if you have usual. to. Yeah, less than usual. So that's saying a lot. You'll be it'll be like having a conversation with a chimpanzee, and I, I totally apologize for that. <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure everybody accepts your apology. So, um, what? Uh, uh, tell us a little bit about um, why you're so tired. I'm tired because I'm taking on way too many things at once, but they're all things that are fascinating to me. So I'm going to skip right over the fact that I'm playing a video game that's in better right now called Overwatch way too late into the night, cutting into yeah, my sleep. That doesn't matter at all. Yeah. <laughs> no, but but I'm also doing... Uh, I'm also participating in NaNoWriMo, uh, using it as to create the backbone of a of a manuscript that I need to make for, uh, for that at Greenwood group. I am having... Such a blast writing this! I've had it's, it's just been so much fun because it's kind of a, a different style than what I usually do. I usually do semi-hard sci-fi. I write a bit of horror fantasy, and this is this is steampunk high adventure. So it's got a completely different feel. It's much more relaxed, whimsical, and it. I actually have to sort of pull back on some of the. My my my, uh, my knee jerk reaction to certain scenes is to make them dramatic and kind of heavy, and I have to go, no, man, maybe no, make that a bit lighter for the reader. So yeah, that it's it's that I've I've also today uh, emailed a bit late. I apologize to uh, to to go Friday production. I've uh, sent them the most recent version of the pour of the Life Engineered. Oh, very cool, very cool. How, so what, then you're almost almost done, right? You only got about 73 more revisions, correct? That's what <laughs> I'm thinking because every single time I send them something that feels to me final, I go, oh, well, this is the final PDF for proofing. Here you go, done. And it comes back a week or two weeks later. Oh, we have some more notes and questions. And it's gone through another editor. And in a way, like I'm making it sound like I'm being annoyed by this, but let, let me be very clear. Oh, no, clear. It's, it's amazing, I think. First of all, look, there, there's two facets to it. Even if the procedure onto itself was tedious, which it's not, and I'll get to that, 
the fact that Girl, Girl Friday Productions is putting so much care and so much attention into making this book as good as it possibly can be and finding every tiny little mistake and fixing them and anytime they have a question, anything that they feel the reader might not enjoy or might confuse them or might affect the pacing of the book, they point it out, they ask questions, and the editors that they give it to, they read the book, they understand it, they get what I'm trying to do with the book in general. This, just that is sufficient to make the process worthwhile. But on the other hand, the process is not tedious, even though it's repetition. And I'm kind of sick of reading my own book. I mean, I, look, I would hope that people will read my book and say, this is good enough for me to read it again. And then years later, want to revisit. I hope for that. But I've read this book upwards of 40 times in the last year. And it just keeps getting better, right? Yes, because Girl (laughs) Friday production helps me improve it. So I am kind of sick of reading about the book, but... The process itself, the comments, the questions are asked, first of all, are usually very good for my ego because when you have a question from an editor saying, I feel that this character wouldn't necessarily say it this way, and you agree, it means that the editor understood what you wanted to do with that character. You managed to express the character's personality in a way that was sufficiently clear that someone else who has not read the book 40 times Maybe 10, I mean, is their job, but they understood what the character was about enough to help you, the author, correct it. And that is amazing for the ego. Not that to mention, not to mention I'll, I'll let you talk after him. No, no, I was just going to say, I was just saying that is, that is amazing for the ego. Because, you know, I'm you sure, get I'm the sure idea. I'm sure you're getting that, that too. Yeah, <laughs> I am actually, I am. Um, I am not getting anything recently, although pretty soon I'll be getting some stuff. Because it's, it's at the copy edit right now. So Oh, yes. It's coming back. Don't worry. Yes, it uh, is. But the, the, the other thing that's really good about the process is that it is heavy in learning. It is something that is making me grow. I can already feel it as I'm writing this, this next book that I'm working on for NaNoWriMo. It's... It's changed how I approach certain certain like the way I write dialogue is is now different. It's a lot more fluid, a lot more interesting. There, there's a lot of mistakes that were in the original manuscript for Life Engineer that will I don't want to say will not be in this manuscript, but will certainly be be toned down. So it's it's all part. It's kind of this fast forward evolution in how I write because I have a perfect example to teach me my own writing is being scrutinized. It's it's just a beautiful process and I'm I'm enjoying it tremendously. So, uh yeah, it sounds like uh things are going really amazing uh for Life Engineered and I can't wait to get to that point uh to the point where you are, which is kind of our topic a little bit later is you know, how do we get to that point? So, um but before we get into that, uh, you were telling me when we were, uh, you know, before the show about a character that you were making up this weekend, actually that you made up this weekend, and I, I read a post on Facebook, I believe, about the character, and uh, you said, and uh, this is uh, not a direct quote, but something along the lines of, this is probably one of the best characters that you've ever created, and then you immediately killed this character. Tell me about that. Why? Why did that happen? 
Well, here's the thing. I'm the story. I, I don't want to go into the details of the story. I'm I'm telling obviously, but well, yeah. as I'm writing the, the the as I'm writing the story, obviously some of the main characters will be encountering or are are encountering other characters, secondary characters from from their past that are have to do with their background. And since it's the first draft, a lot of this is kind of literary improvisation. So it's not like I had previous notes that my main character knew this other character. They're both ship captains, and they've, they've worked together. Well, actually, the, the, the new character is kind of legendary in aspect. And I wanted to really translate that this character had a reputation for being tenacious, being badass, and everything that goes with it. So... There's, there's a bit of an insert, a bit of a narrative from my main character explaining, oh, this is Captain So-and-so, and she is she is insanely tenacious. She's got this weird nickname, and she got this nickname because she's she, – basically, she, uh, she her nickname is the, the Bride of Othendorf, and she's – because on her very wedding day, like, she fought off some pirates and shit. And it's, it's told in a very epic kind of way, very almost – very, very grandiose. And the way it's told is very... It, it's interesting, and I finished writing the portion. I'm like, man, I kind of want to know more about this character, and I really want to revisit it. But that character is inserted into the story for basically as, as a tool to support some of the action. And that action leads to a point where it, that the character had to die to... Because as a sport character, her role is to make the main character's story more interesting, to, uh, to, to support what's happening, especially on an emotional level. And having that character die in the story actually pushes my agenda for my main character further. It, has, it, it ties into what my main character is going through. His entire learning arc throughout the story is about dealing with people dying and how he's not good at reacting to that because of certain his, you know personal histories of his so i could not have the character die and keep it for later for another book for a sequel or something but i would be taking away from what the character was there for so it's been an emotional weekend <laughs> <laughs> no sleep and killing um, your darlings, as they well, say, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, that's the thing. Like when, when I when I got to the, uh, I, I spent a good fifteen minutes just thinking about should I, should I not? It's, especially it's a, it's it's not a pretty death. Like it's not graphic or anything, but there's like it's it. I hope like I'm, I'm talking about it as a, this is what I hope it is. I may reread all of it and go, oh, this is garbage. But for now, in in my fresh in my memory, it still sounds like it's once polished. It could be really nice. But the 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 thing is, I spent a lot of time considering what am I going to do with this character. And, and the the quote "kill your darlings" did flash in my mind. I went, yeah, okay. Well, if if I like this character so much, killing it will have exactly the impact I want it to have. This is this is what I built it for. This is what I'm going to do with it. So it's um, think of it like this like this way. Let's say you're a special effects engineer and you build this really cool model of a uh, of I don't know a boat that you're supposed to make explode in a shot for the movie. And once you're done with the boat, it is so convincingly realistic that you feel bad about blowing it up. Well, the whole point of building it was to blow it up, and the more realistic it is, the more that shot that that piece of special effects is going to be realistic. So blow it up you know i have a character 
very, very similar kind of thing that's in Ageless, actually. And uh, as I have been rereading it, because, you know, like you said, we reread a lot. Uh, I kind of, I kind of <laughs> uh, feel the same way. I'm like, man, this character is awesome. And if uh, people feel like I feel, then they're going to really like like this character. And so much, in fact, that in my mind, I've toyed, toyed with some um, possible sequel ideas. And in fact, I started writing writing down some notes and stuff. But I was like, no, 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 not yet. I'm not ready yet. <laughs> you know. So. Uh, which is actually a little bit more of uh, about this character. And because of the uh, non-linear setting of um, Ageless, I think that a uh, sequel could also benefit from staying in a non-linear setting. Although, you know, like I said, I'm just toying with the idea. But uh, I actually have two sequels in my brain, two separate sequels already. Uh, nothing, you know, set in stone or anything like that. But I have, you know, seeds. Seeds are planted, you know. Yeah, I know the feeling. I've, I'm the same way with uh, with li- uh, the life engineered. I have. What's fun about that setting is that it's kind of open ended. I can write stories for a very long time. I know I at least have five books in me to tell the sort of the the, the main arc right. that goes over the entire the entire storyline, and so I'm. Like, I, I know what you mean. Like it's you're not even done with the first one. You're yes, already exactly. plotting the rest. I know, I, but you know. We kind of we kind of are done with the the first one. I mean, like all the major story elements. At least, I I think uh, it could be a major change. In fact, when I was um <clears throat> when I was uh, at um, the Ink Shares offices in uh, San Francisco, they were telling me that um, uh, one murder more. Mm. The uh, the story and that the actual um, the actual person who did it changed. You know, um, in the developmental, oh, the, the uh, you know, because it's a, a mystery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, a mystery. Whodunit. So yeah, the um, changed. It actually changed characters in the developmental edit. So I mean, that's a pretty that's, major change. That is know? a big so, change. That's interesting. Um, I was yeah, I was I thought it was really neat too, and I, and they were just telling me about uh, how that process went came about, and I was just really fascinated. I was like, wow, that's that's amazing that such a major change could happen so late in the game. When, I mean, I guess it still could for Ageless, or even maybe not so much Life Engineered at this point. But, but. Well, Life, Life Engineered did go through some interesting changes in the developmental edit, but these, I don't, I don't know if for One Murder More this was something that the editor uh, suggested or requested. But on my end, as I was preparing uh, and revising the manuscript for Life Engineered, there's a rereading it as many times as I did. Mm-hmm. I, knew, I knew I had already written a good portion of the sequel, and as I was rereading the, the first book, essentially, I noticed some places that I could easily make certain corrections or insert some foreshadowing that wasn't there in the previous, the first edition. So that's going to be that. That's something that's very interesting in having like the situation you're in, where you already have some of your ideas and you're still capable of revising. You can. If you want, or if you find places, say, "Oh, well, this description could be tweaked to be more in line with my future ideas and plans." And yeah, in fact, I already have done that um, through my developmental edit. I have already um, taken on that task. And you know, the crazy, the the difficult thing about nonlinear is uh, there's always 
well, for me, I felt like I was always trying to, not always trying to, but I always ended up doing a lot of foreshadowing because it kind of jumps around in time. It's true. Your, your book must be like 75% foreshadowing. Well, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of foreshadowing. Yeah. And then on top of that, like I said, I've already got seeds for sequels and, uh, I want to do a little foreshadowing for the sequels if they ever come to be, which I, I you know, that's the goal. Um, whether or not they ever make it to print, though, I mean, we'll we'll find out. But the goal is that uh, I actually write the stories, um, which I think that one of the sequels will probably be reasonably short, you know, 100 pages or so, uh, be- just because of the story that I'm going to tell. It's almost like a side story, kind of. I don't know how to describe it. It's it's kind of like I think I, I think I get what you're getting at. Like, yeah, it's kind of like novella. yeah, yeah. It's kind of like um, the character that you developed and then you killed off. You want to know more. You want to know more about that character. You want to explore that character and who they are. So this is kind of a similar idea, like exploring a different character rather than um, what would be the main character. So if you can think of it in terms like this, Ageless might be two full novels and a novella. Well, with a novella between the two. That's what the... The book sandwich. Yes, exactly. So um, that's kind of the idea that I'm looking at. Are you Are you in any way... Have you anything written about the second book yet? Um, I have about a pa- two pages of uh, some notes where I'm just trying to organize the story. Um, because really, like... It kind of came to me, in fact, I was at work, um, I'm a teacher, you know, and we do like standardized testing for the kids, so I have three or four hours, three or four days in a row where I'm just kind of walking around the room watching children take tests, you know, it's silent, and I just had a little notepad, and I'm just taking notes of stuff that I'm thinking of in my brain, you know, but it hasn't developed much from there because I want, I kind of really want this um, ageless to be locked in, you know what I'm saying? So... I can't change. I can't go back and change something that um, will not make sense later. Does that make sense? No, no. I, I understand. I understand. You want it to be uh, sort of static in a way, so that it, yeah. you don't you don't end up wanting or making for changes that kind of screws you over. Right. So, Ageless will kind of be like the Bible for the next um, novel and novella. You know what I mean? So, once it's locked in, I know the Bible can't be changed. You know. Yeah, it it gives you like a solid foundation upon which to draw. Right. I was I was asking, and uh, I'll just say this, and then we'll we'll move on to our, our little book picks. The okay. uh, the reason I was asking is because in for Life Engineer, and I don't know if I've mentioned this much. Uh, at the end, I've added the first chapter of the sequel as a preview. Okay. So that's and if you were any advance, I would have urged you to do something similar because it's a good marketing trick, if you mm-hmm. will. Yeah, to get like keeps the reader interested, so they're like, "Whoa, I need to know what happens next, right?" Exactly. Well, you 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 read the first book. The first book is interesting to you, hopefully, and <laughs> then you have a sample chapter. It's like, "Oh, where is he going with this story?" And then you introduce this new these new characters and these new story arcs, and it's a teaser so that when I put the when I put the second book on ink shares for funding. There'll be it'll be easier to get some excitement, and, and this this ties directly back into the idea of crowdfunding. Is that a lot of crowdfunding for for your second, third, further projects is all about 
developing and capitalizing on your relationship with your your fan base and your your supporters and having this relationship and being able to offer them this preview of what I'm planning to do in the long run with the life engineered is a it's a good way of thanking them and it's a good way of uh, of hooking them into the into the storyline okay and um to our book picks what uh this week we're going back to uh fantasy fantasy book picks this week and we mm-hmm. have and we have like um like uh per usual or you know what we're going to try to do we we have a funded book and a funding book so um uh I think uh you went last time first, I right? I think I went first. You you can go first. Actually, you you picked a book that I I am aware of but have not really dug too deep into. So I'm going to listen and learn cuz it sounds like an interesting book. I think I pre-ordered it. Um but I I want to know more. Yeah, and uh I picked this book not actually because well, I because of the book, yes. But um I picked this book for other reasons also. So, uh anyway, so my pick is Prophecy of the Stars by Melissa Berg. Prophecy of the Stars. Um, Melissa Berg is an awesome person. That's that's about 50% of the reason that I picked her book. She is currently sitting at... This is the unfunded book right now. This is the funding book. Um, and she's at 113 pre-orders. Uh, you know, trying to get to at least that magic number. Uh, two fifty. I, I just want to confirm. Of course, I pre-ordered it. Now it's yeah. Now, now I'm I'm looking at the cover. First of all, it's a gorgeous cover. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is definitely something I pre-ordered. Go on. Um, sorry. Yeah. I apologize. No, no worries. I was just saying. Uh, she's trying to get to at least two fifty to get into the Quill collection. Um, here on Ink Shares, and uh, right now she's at one hundred and thirteen pre-orders. So she's almost halfway there. Uh, her her um campaign ends in 21 days from the day of this recording so um you'll probably get this uh around thanksgiving day or uh u.s thanksgiving day or the next day which you know which will be a few days from today so um she might have 17 or 18 days left so anyway so i'll just read a little bit about the book um real quick so her little tagline here says after finding out the truth of her past Marin." must leave everything behind and embark on a journey through love, betrayal, betrayal, and sacrifice. While her fate may already be written in the stars, for the prophecy states, she must die so all may live. Um, and here's the, here's a really crazy thing. Like, this says it's an 1150-page fantasy book. What? <laughs> 1150 <laughs> pages. That is a giant book, ladies That's an and gentlemen. Epic. That it is, is an epic. And you know, the crazy thing is. Shame. What's that? That puts me to shame because Life Engineered is in the spirit of you know old Ray Bradbury, Isaac Asimov books. Like it's it's 250 pages. It's light. It's it's a quick weekend read. This is an investment. Yes, and you know, the 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 funny thing is is like um Ageless is I thought it was a pretty long book and uh the last time I looked it was around maybe 370 pages or something and 1150 good job Melissa let's just say that good job Tenacious, nice work if nothing else yes I I I'm a little biased here I really like Melissa she's a good she's a good person she has very much helped helped out with uh lots of stuff for me which I'll get into in a minute but um I believe, if I'm not mistaken, there are. This is actually a uh, series. So you've got this 
Prophecy of the Stars, which is 1,150 pages, and she wants to make, in fact, has made some of the series um, already. So this is book one, I would imagine, and um, I believe she's written two other ones, completely written manuscripts at this point, because I feel like I read uh, pretty recently that she was on the fourth manuscript, I mean, on the fourth book in the story. That's crazy, and if they're all 1,100 pages, can you, I, I don't think they are, but I mean, they might be, who knows? So well, uh, let me. My, if if you look at the uh, most most fantasy epics like series, usually the first book is by far the smallest, and it did, they just keep growing from there. So yeah. if she's following that trend, which I don't see why she wouldn't, since it seems almost inevitable, um, I I don't see why the next books should be shorter. Um, in fact, I found it here, actually. Uh, it's She's got it uh, just a little bit further down on her page. It says, It's the first book in the Shifting Balance series, an epic fantasy for adults. Writing the story that is the Shifting Balance has been my passion for the past 10 years, and I'm nearing completion of book four of a six-book series. So she has two other books completely written, and book four is, uh, uh, from this, most of the way done, out of six. I mean... We're talking. She's put in put in a massive amount of time and effort, um, and the fact that she knows that she's doing six books shows that she's she's got her world already built. She's got her story arcs already you know thought of. Like she's not pantsing this. No, no, of course not. Um, and you know, I don't. I here's something funny. This little side note. I never heard of those terms. You know, pantsing and. Uh, uh, plotting, right? I never I've heard only of learned of them last month. <laughs> that's that's hilarious because I only learned of them maybe in the last few weeks or maybe last <laughs> last month too. Because if I've always perceived like the whole pantsing plotting thing more as a spectrum than something that you like tag someone with. Like, are you a pantser or a plotter? I'm somewhere in between, I guess. So I I, I never thought that there were terminology behind that. Yeah, I know. I never. I no idea. So what just I know we're off the subject a little bit here, but what would you consider yourself? And you know, I know you I already know you're going to say probably a hybrid because most people are probably a hybrid, you know. But um if you had to pick one of the two, which one would you lean closer to? It's it's hard for me to say because the thing is my first drafts are usually maybe 25% plotted, 75% pantsed. But my process is to write a first draft and then just go at it with a hammer and a chisel and rework it. So I I, I build my first draft as, say, um, a sketch, but then I do a ton of plotting around what that first draft offered me and, you know, basically run it through a bunch of sieves of planning until I get like the golden nuggets in there and then I rebuild. So it's, it's basically pants plot, right? If you will. Okay. That, I mean, that makes sense. And you know, How about I think, you? Like, you, you can't, uh, you can't be a pantser, not with a nonlinear story like ageless. Well, I'll be honest with you. Like I started off, uh, just with an idea and, um, Obviously, that's where it all starts. But I, I just had an idea, and I was like, you know, I'm going to write something. Um, and I have a friend who is actually a uh, a um, New York Times bestseller, and she sold lots and lots of books. In fact, in fact, my friend, she just returned yesterday from Canada. She was up um, in um, give me cities up there. I don't know Montreal, Ottawa, <laughs> Montreal, Ottawa, uh, Toronto. I think, did, I think she did at least Montreal Edmonton. and Ottawa. 
Um, but anyway, she was up there doing book signings, and she's uh, with Harper Teen. And uh, anyway, so I was like, if she can do this, I can do this. And so I came up with this plan, right? People I, love, I love when people tell me that about my work. Oh, if you can do it, I can do it. Of course. <laughs> well, that's that's where I started, right? I said, if she can do this, I can do this. And I was like, um, I have a little bit of a, a seed of an idea, and I'm going to run with it. And so I wrote like um, a paragraph, and I was like, oh, my God, what am I doing? You know? And I was like, I don't know what's going on. So I, I put it away for a while, and I kind of let the story develop a little more in my mind. And then I felt like... I was what would be called a pantser because for the first chapter or maybe two, I was like, let me just see what happens, okay? And then I decided I was going to, um, well, it went it went just, it, in fact, the whole book went just like this. I started a new chapter or whatever, right? And I just started making bullet points. This, 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 all these things need to happen in this chapter. And then I wrote those bullet points. So, and they weren't very detailed. It might be like, um, Alessandra is the name of the main character. Uh, it might be like, Alessandra needs to meet so-and-so, you know, like another character. And, um, so then I had to figure out how that would happen. And as I went along, got further in the story, my bullet points became more detailed. Never though, they were never more than a couple of sentences. And then there's maybe 50 bullet points, depending on which chapter it is, you know, or, or 10 bullet points or, you know, whatever. So I don't really know what that is. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I, it's I don't, some I don't, kind I don't, of hybrid. I want, to, I want to go back to Melissa in a, in a few a few seconds. But the, the thing is, like, what is a plotter also depends on what kind of plotting you do and how you go about your plotting. But I think we could do we could do a segment at some point about the whole techniques that different people use. Um, but I want to go and back yet, to to a prophecy of the stars real quick because yes, so, um, oh yeah, d- definitely. As, as you were talking about it, like I read some of the uh, some of the writing itself, and mm-hmm. clearly, like there's I, I there's a level of quality. I mean, we say that about pretty much a lot of the books in uh, on Inkshares. Well, most of these but, people they want to make it, so they're doing their very best. You know, the exactly quality stuff, putting you know, putting so. their first foot forward. But it's yeah. First, first of all, one of the things I like, and okay, there, there's there's pros and cons. Like I said last week, I am not a huge fan of prophecies in books. One of the things that attracted me to She is the End by Kara uh, is that the prophecy isn't about someone being a savior. So my knee-jerk reaction to Prophecy of the Stars is hmm, another one of those. But one of the things that kind of redeems it is that in, in this world of and I was looking at a list of agents looking for science fiction, and everyone wants young adult books. Someone coming out and saying, "No, this is an adult book. It's six books. It's it's for adults, and it's it's well written, as I can see." That's refreshing in a way. It kind of redeems the whole prophecy aspect. And seeing that she's got so much plan, I mean, this sounds like she's got her her crap together more than J.R. Martin. Um, as far as planning goes, <laughs> ma- makes me feel like because one of the things that you is a problem with prophecy books is that a, a lot of authors say, "Oh, I want to write about this prophecy, and uh, the prophecy is this because that's what puts the events in motion." But a lot of them don't know how to tie those events together in a neat bow at the end. Right. The prophecy is is basically it's their MacGuffin, but unfortunately, if you're going to have a, a, a something as important as a prophecy be your driving force in your book, you need to know where you're going, and that I think that's that's what sets Melissa apart a little is that clearly she's got she's got six book plans. She's re, she's obviously uh, far ahead in her story. 
I have a feeling that she's not going to let down as to how that unfolds. So no, that's reassuring. And, uh, I agree with the, everything you're saying there. And, um, you know, I I wanted to, to read a little bit of what she has on here. Um, but as I was looking over it before we started, she has a whole lot. I mean, there's a whole... I don't know where to start. Mm, yeah, she's that's, been that's very kind of... generous with the uh, the samples. Now, yeah, I and have... her, her page is really... It's pretty organized, I think, but uh, there's a whole lot of st- of uh, of of stuff. I don't know how to describe it better than that. But it, one thing I do want to point out is she has a, a really cool website, which is The Shifting Balance, which is the name of the epic series, theshiftingbalance.com. And on the website, it's, it's really, really nice and neat and puts a nice bow on it. And you can see some artwork. Which is but her? Which is her? That's the thing. Like I, I before I want, I want to talk about my book, my pick at some point. But I have one final question. The cover is since I know I know Melissa is an artist. She helped you with the. Uh, she did some illustration for Ageless. She did. She did. Uh, but did she do the cover? Do you yeah, know I think she's she. One? Yeah, I think she did her own cover. And um, I, I'll tell you that uh, she's using a, a program to do this. Like um. I don't know, 3D, I don't know what how to describe what this is. It's uh, photorealistic, maybe, um, sort of, uh, people and and stuff. <laughs> that is the best. You know what? You can Everyone can quote me on that forever. People and stuff. That's, I'm just so articulate here. But no, she's using Blender. If you don't know what Blender is, it's a, it's a, it's a 3D um, oh, I, I program. I totally know what Blender is. Oh yeah, well, I'm, for the people listening, if you don't know what it is, uh, it's a, it's a 3D program, and you it's um it's actually a really cool uh, program. Have you ever used it? You can do so much with it. You can do video editing, you can do sound editing, you can do um, 3D modeling, you can do all kinds of stuff. So anyway, she really like gets into that, and she's really artistic, and she just really like all around like is a very creative person, and. And I think yeah, she's yeah. I, done I'm lo- a fun. I'm looking at close up, uh, close up on the on the website. I'm looking at a close up of the uh, one of the characters from the cover, and I thought I thought it, lo- it looked from a distance like a painting, but only now did I know that it's done in Blender. And I look at it closely, can I see that it's actually a 3D model? This is a lot better than I, I've seen people use 3D models for their covers in the past, but never never have I seen it come out this well. Especially for people, for organic people, I know, right? So it's, it's, it's pretty got a very photorealistic. Paint, well, it's got a very painterly look to it. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, but uh, and honestly, I've tried to do three D modeling in, in Blender a little bit, and it is so hard. It takes so much time. So I can imagine that the amount of time that she put into this, and I mean, it's just really, really. It looks really good, and you know, mm-hmm. uh, let me tell you a little bit about the story. I know we need to move on, but a little bit about the story. So, um. I'm just going to read one paragraph here. Marin's heritage was once held sacred among the people. Now it means certain death. Change comes just days after she learns the real reason she has to live a lie, hiding behind the guise um, of a young boy. That change comes in the form of, uh, and I'm going to butcher these names, I'm sorry, uh, Rafe Finlon, I think that might be right, a childhood friend she has secretly loved for for the whole of her life. His is a haunted past, and that pain of his soul will set them both on a journey into darkness. Perhaps it is already written in the stars, or maybe it is just a reckless decision that makes him follow her that day. There, hidden among beauty, he finds the lie. Overwhelmed by grief and hurt, Rafe 
sends Moran away, hoping to protect their town, hoping to right a terrible wrong, hoping to never see her again. I mean, like, that just, for me, that just kind of hooks me in. I'm like, dang, what's going on? I mean, what's going to happen here? You know? Yeah, and this is, that's what you want from uh, from that kind of hook. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. And there's a lot more on the website. There's a lot more on the uh, on uh, Ink Shares and the her personal, theshiftingbalance.com. If you'd like to take a look, I think that you should. If you have not pre-ordered, this book needs to make it because Melissa is a very talented person all around. You know, so if you would, if you have not, I should say, go ahead and go over and pre-order. You can get an ebook for as low as $10. That brings us to your glorious pick for today. Yes, <laughs> glorious indeed. Well, I I decided to pick a, uh, a book that I think is kind of, I didn't want to do it too early because it is, I don't, didn't want to, 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 to talk about it too close to my own book. Because it is it is the 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 the, uh, the sword to my laser, so <laughs> to speak. It's I want to talk about the other winner and a part um, inductee into the sword and laser collection. That is uh, J. Derek Adams' asteroid made of dragons. Now I I've decided J. Derek. Yes, I've decided a long time ago when when I learned of J. Derek's of, of Derek's uh, victory. In the G, uh, in the contest, G Derek, yeah, Derek yes, yeah, sorry, I'm French. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I've decided sorry. that I did not know what the G standard stood for, nor do I want to, and I have decided that he it is glorious Derek Adams. I like that glorious. That is it. That's what that's it for me forever. So, I tend. As far as literature comes, I tend to enjoy challenging myself. I like to look for and find books that I know I should not enjoy. Um, in, in the sense that if there's a book, like for, for a very long time, I did not like nonfiction. And after a while, I sort of hunted down interesting nonfiction book. And that's how I stumbled upon Mary Roach's books like Stiff or uh, Packing for Mars and things like that. And these are brilliant books, which also led me to reading... Uh, uh, I think it, the rational optimist, which probably served as sort of a philosophical backbone to how the life engineer got written. I don't really like fantasy humor or sci-fi humor. I I can recognize quality writing in that sense. I mean, I I love Douglas Adams stuff. I I think he's kind of almost an exception. But I have a bit of difficulty with Terry Pratchett. I recognize the quality of his work and I re- recognize the impact. But reading about such level of whimsicality, I have trouble getting into it. So I try to hunt down things that are either light versions of these books that I normally don't read or just somehow manage to break the mold and interest me. Okay. Which brings me to Asteroid Made of Dragons. The my first approach to this book was during the sword and laser contest where everyone was everyone everybody else's enemy. If you remember clearly, we, oh, we didn't talk that much. I mean, I, I wouldn't say enemy, but I mean, especially the top ten, we were racing against each other very fiercely, and we we were all ter- tremendously hungry. So my impression of Asteroid Made of Dragon was that oh, it's another one of those pseudo satirical humor version of a fantasy slash sci-fi book whatever and and sort of ignored it until until the very end when everybody like we knew who won and started getting 
more communicating amongst each other. And then I thought to myself, I'll, I'll give I'll give Asteroid a chance and read more about it and pre-order a copy, of course. Well, you know, it's kind of surprise. It, it was kind of a surprise because he stayed up pretty close to the top five or in the top five for for a while, especially in the last week or so, and. Um, then he kind of dropped out, and we're and and personally, I was like, "Man, um, he's not going to make it," because that's what I was thinking when I was watching. Because I was like, "Hmm, that's an interesting idea," and I, I I didn't I didn't discredit it or anything like that. In fact, I was like, "Hmm, this could be a fun read," because uh, I do like um, like Douglas Adams, for example. You know, I like that. And oh, like I love you said, Douglas Adams, but it's, it's he it's, may be an exception to the rule. Exactly, right? it, he feels like an exception to me. But I I think that Derek's book might be another exception because it seems to integrate the humor better into the story and the action than most of these books that I've read. Right. It's not like um or tried to read. Uh, forced, for lack of a better term. You know. Yeah. It, it's it's not just oh here's this like here's this trope about sci-fi that we all know about and here's four hundred pages of me. Laughing at that one trope, it's, I, I get it. I, right. I, I understand that sci-fi has tropes. Thank you <laughs> for pointing it out and recycling twenty years of jokes on it. But <laughs> Asteroid seems to have a different feel. And one of the things, like the, the, any disparaging thoughts I might have had about Asteroid, when I saw that title, I my immediate thought, and I can you can ask anybody in my surroundings, like this is going to win on title alone. I know, right? That's exactly is, what I was thinking. It is a brilliant title, but it goes further than that. Let me, let me read the description for you. Sure. When a lone goblin researcher stumbles across an artifact containing a terrifying message that the world is in grave danger and immediate peril, she scrambles to find help. A very unusual asteroid, one constructed as a cage for dragons, is headed straight for the planet, and Xenon is the only person in the world who knows. As she clambers across hill and, hill and dale with her, her quill, journal, and dwindling coin purse to untangle the mystery, she'll need plenty of luck to find the right clues and the right sort of help. Meanwhile, our heroes have their own problems. They have a bank to rob, a sea to cross, and a kingdom to infiltrate. Luckily, Rhyme is a wild mage. The laws of reality quiver when she gives them a stern look. And her guardian, Jonas, wields a reasonably sharp sword. But Rhyme is slipping ever closer to the abyss of madness, and Jonas is wanted for murder at their final port of call. To make matters worse, the mage-killing Hunt and its commander, Linus, follow the duo like a patient shadow bent on Rhyme's destruction. This is a good starting point for a story for me to enjoy. Me too. Me too. As a matter of fact, I was. Uh, and, and, and this is a relatively new um, synopsis that he put up. I mean, it's been probably a few weeks, but um, before I read this particular synopsis, um, it was it was slightly confusing about. Okay, well, where does the asteroid fit in? Yeah, I, I remembered that the it, it didn't seem to feature quite as well into the uh, the previous synopsis. It, right, and I believe that this is probably his um, promotional copy. Uh, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think? It sounds more promo-y. like it it hits all the points. And mm-hmm. but here here's what is attractive to to, to that, and what, why it hits some of my uh, some of my buttons a bit more than I thought it would. 
and and this goes mostly when I if you I, I invite everybody to go read the first chapter sample because that is one of these examples. First of all, I like a good in media res beginning for uh, an adventure story, and this is totally it. the The first chapter starts with action completely, so already that is very interesting. And the synopsis, even the previous one, describes only peril. It is right, right, and. If you're, I say, I like my humor dark, not whimsical, which is probably why Terry Pratchett's always been a difficult sell for me. Is and I like the idea, like this. Okay, well, there's an apocalypse coming, and it's dragons, and it's a cage of dragons, and there's these two characters, and everything is going wrong for them because both crazy, wanted by the law, and it's very rich with things that can go wrong. And if you're gonna feed me something that's and and. Let me be clear. I mean, this is not a comedy. I mean, it's it's still an adventure, a fantasy adventure book. It just has this kind of twist to it. And you can read it in the, the tone of the first chapter. Like, a, a lot of the humor seems to be stemming mostly from the characters themselves, not weird, whimsical, talking ferret or whatever. Like, I, I don't mean <laughs> to disparage anything, but it seems to be, like, the, the humor seems to stem from the characters, their interaction, and how the world is described and brought about. Like in, in the first chapter, there's an entire aside about the construction of a roof just because it's important to know that it's cool that that roof gets destroyed. Well, cool for the reader, not for the <laughs> Not people. for the person under the roof well, or the people. Yeah, they, you, you have to read it to sort of understand. But it's, it's these nice tangential aside that has this, and I may be like presuming, almost... British sensibility to the humor yes. that I enjoy. That's what I was getting to, the uh, British sensibility. Um, but he actually is from Georgia. Yeah, Georgia. He's from Georgia. So, Yeah, yeah no, I know, I know he's not British, but did, you understand what I mean by the... Oh, yeah, uh, like, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm saying. I, I felt the same thing, but I just, uh, I look at it, I look at him, like where he's from, and I'm like, hmm, that's interesting to me that he has this sensibility. So I can imagine that he like likes things like... Um, like Douglas Adams and mm-hmm, uh, definitely actually there is pro and I'm just going to throw this out here for those of you listening. Um, there is very unsubstantiated claims that he is related. Glorious Derek Adams is related to Douglas Adams and, and, and I have no proof and I'm making this up right now, but <laughs> I want you, if you're listening I, I like, to this like to retweet of... or tweet that, <laughs> Absolutely no, I totally will because I like the idea of building these these legends around mm-hmm. Derek. He seems like the kind of guy who will run with it. Legendary, and legendary, well, glorious. glorious, glorious Derek. Oh but yeah, the, sorry. The, the, the thing about be GL Dragon, Derek Adams, based, <laughs> glorious, legendary. <laughs> based on the on on what I've read so far and what I read after after my resentment of having to uh, to race against him in the sort of laser contests. And seeing him shift from an adversary to to a brother in the collection um, has it's made me go through his samples like not with a fine tooth comb but with a lot more interest and the balance of this kind of very very light character based humor and the story and the narrative is it actually speaks to me a lot more this this feels like the kind of lighter reading that I will enjoy because I read a lot of heavier like psychological horror type stuff and true crime stuff and nonfiction things. And I'm, I'm using my best words right now. 
So but save some for the next part of the discussion. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very rare that I can find something that I can read that will have the level of su- substance for my own like snobbish ambitions, if you will. Wow. While at the same time being uh, being sufficiently like having this kind of I don't want to say tongue in cheek because that might not be exactly the tone he's going for, but uh, something that's a bit more like fun, more entertaining for entertainment's sake well if you just look at um you know uh each of us when you make a profile on um ink shares you get to say a little bit about yourself and he just writes in in his right under his name if you're on the page looking at it or if you go to it right under his name he just has emotional grease fire i mean so it shows you that he's not gonna you know he's 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 not taking himself seriously, not in a negative way either. I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, he's okay with poking fun at himself, and he's okay with uh, being a little bit silly and a little bit out there, and that's all right because, you know, it's going to make his work uh, something that's fun, you know, and uh, enjoyable and, and uh, easy, not easy as to say that, um, you know, like, children easy you know like a child's read or something but an easy read a fun read something that'll keep you moving because you'll be interested and i'm kind of just rambling at this point so that's no, fine <laughs> um it's not like we're on a deadline <laughs> no no the episode uh <laughs> anyways to to in, in in closure um derek's book is coming out in april of 2016 like a, a month a month and a half after uh, after mine it looks fantastic. I really urge people to either go pre-order it on uh, on Inkshares, or you can also pre-order it at uh, Amazon and uh, Barnes and Nobles, Chapters, all the the normal retailer because it's it's probably I don't think it's as far in production as Life Engineered is, but it's probably getting along. So I assume it's already in the catalog. I know I saw it pop up on a few search engines at these uh, these web stores. So I really urge you because a you'd be encouraging a uh, a new author, which is super important. If you pre-order, here's a little trick I learned from Scott Sigler, not directly, it's not like we hang out or anything, but <laughs> I heard him talk about is pre-orders count for your first day sales. So it's really important to get a lot of pre-orders so that you can get really high numbers on your first day sales. So go pre-order those books and preferably at a retailer because, I mean, I don't want to speak ill of ink shares, but um, usually those retailers have uh, rebates and uh, and specials and lower prices because of bulk sales. So I'd, I'd have a look at those and get those pre-orders up for us. Asteroid Made of Dragons. And, you know, uh, one one final thing for me. Um, he I, This is actually a third a third novel in a series, actually. Um, his Spell Sword, I believe, is the name of the series. Uh, that could be wrong. Oh no, that's the name of the first book, Spell Sword, and then the second book is called The Riddle Box. So you can get both of those on Amazon too right now, and I think they're um the e the ebook versions are only like ninety nine cents. So that's a, that's a good way of it. Maybe, maybe that's what I'll do. I'll pick one of these up so I can get a better feel for for what I what to expect. I mean, I've already pre ordered Asteroid Made of Dragons, obviously. Oh, yeah, so so I'll get the copy, but might as well. Might as well start on the on the series beforehand. And uh, apparently, he has it set up to where that you know you don't have to necessarily um, have read those two to get into this book. You know, so no, it, it, just from the synopsis, it feels like it's a very standalone thing. Yeah, 
So, um, but apparently there's adventures with uh, with Rhyme and um, Jonas before before this particular story. So, if you feel interested, for you know, a couple bucks, you could read the first two in the series. So, check it out. And uh, yeah, so let's uh, move on to our topic in our in our last. Um, you know, uh, seven minutes. <laughs> We're going to really try to wrap this up at an hour, possibly. We'll see how this goes. So, Mr. Dubo, um, today we'll be talking about... Uh, today I um, want to talk about, like, one of the things I've been going through is recently, and <laughs> something we talked about in the pre-show, is the, the joys of having... discovering how much there actually is to do when you're publishing a book through InkShares. And I, I'm assuming that this reflects very well about like what to expect from the normal publishing industry. Yeah. But I can't speak to that because I haven't gone through it. But let's but just talk about what it feel you, like it, right? It feels it, like that. It this feels is the like way it, 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 and it I'm, is. You know? I'm assuming that because the, the thing is, when we've talked about this before, through InkShares, you actually work with a company called Girl Friday Productions, and they're the ones who do all the heavy lifting, if you will, for the editing and design of the book. And I'm yeah. assuming that they don't just work for InkShares. Clearly, from their website, you can see that. Yeah. So yeah. the production package that they make you go through, I feel, is probably what the industry standards are. And you know what? It's very thorough, and it's it's really good. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And, uh, you know, InkShares... I think InkShares mostly handles the marketing. The, uh, the, yeah, the marketing and the the, the the larger lines of the distribution and production. Yeah. Like they basically they, they outsource the production, but everything else, as far as funding and managing the project, is well, yeah. and falls in their court. Yeah, that's very businessy, and we'll talk about that at some point. Just right now, what I want to talk about is a joke that I made when at the end of the Nerdist contest, a lot of people. Uh, well, a lot of people, like five people won the Nerdist contest, and I congratulated them on winning a second job. Now, I don't know how they feel now about this, but a lot, a few of them went, haha, these past few days, these past few weeks have already been a second job. I think I'm prepared. And I went, sure. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> there is a world of difference. And I mean, there is. Promoting a book for for crowdsourcing is a harrowing nightmare. There is no doubt about that. That is, is a great stressful. Is stressful. It very demanding. If you look at the amount of work that people like, say, uh, Jameson Stone had to put in to promote their book, there is no question that it is a ton of work. But it is a singular, very specific type of concentrated stress. Meanwhile, once you get into the actual publishing grind of preparing your book, it's actually not that much footwork, but it is constant work. And if you already have a job, how can I say it? It's one of the biggest problems is that that you encounter is that you have this this is your baby. This is your creation. A lot of us are first-time authors. We're getting published on Inkshare it is for us, for many of us like our first experience with that kind that level of publishing. We want that book to be as good as possible. However, when you already have plans for the weekend or you're coming home from a hard day's work because we most of us already have a day job. Overwatch. Have, well, no, that's just recent, okay? Let's Overwatch. Not, let's, let's not talk about my crack addiction. <laughs> 
but sorry to interrupt you. The, the, the thing is, like, you're you're, you're derailing me there, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> the thing what is, else would I do? <laughs> you come back from work and you get this email, and it's your manuscript, and it's got a bunch of notes, and you have a few weeks to go over it. Now, you could rush through it in one evening and send it back, and that would be it. And that doesn't feel like a lot of work. And you could totally do that. I mean, most of these notes are, they suggest a correction or a modification. They ask a question, easy to answer. You can go through it in a couple of days. Man, you must have got different notes than me. No, no, no. This this is where (laughs) I'm getting at, Paul. This this book's your baby. I mean, this this is your first step into the, the wide world of publishing. You want this thing to be perfect. So every damn question, every little comment is something to ponder over and if they say well i don't know if this i don't know if this chapter works well you're going to rewrite that stupid chapter or even if they say well i'm not sure if that character would speak this way well then you go back and you read every line of dialogue that that character said to see if they're right and if you agree and then you make a decision based on that so it's a ton of work but that ton of work starts and ends somewhere. So this week, we're going to talk about the questionnaires. I'm just going to go through very quickly the kind of questions, because here's the thing. Now that there's this lower benchmark, this 250 copies to get published by Quill, a lot more authors are going to get there. Now, the the questionnaire that you get for Quill may not be as thorough as the one that we're going to talk about, But assume it's going to be because maybe your next book will get to 750 or maybe the book you're pushing right now will get to 750 and then you'll have to deal with this. And some of these questions are going to drive you insane. So I totally agree about the driving insane because, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I did this questionnaire, it literally took me. And I'm not I'm not exaggerating either. It literally took me like almost two weeks because I was like, Oh my gosh, I, I, I don't know, and I gotta do a lot of research and I've gotta and I've gotta think and my brains have to work and you know, and you get bogged down in, in, in little things. Uh and I know we mentioned before, but like one of the questions was um Describe your book in two sentences or something like that. And it's just which, like, which what? Is, yeah, exactly. Well, let, let's start with the first question, yeah, which, yeah, is, which is already very, uh, very interesting. If you're, if you're someone who mostly just you have a story and you wanted to write it, now you wrote it and it's getting published, describe the ideal reader of your book. This will help us focus on marketing, on, cha- uh, on the marketing channels most likely to be relevant to your reader. This was kind of difficult for me because... Me too. One of the things that made it easy is I already had sort of a fan page and I already had reviews. So I could look at the age groups of on my Facebook page who liked my page and was very surprised to notice that it's mostly the uh, 25 to 44 women that like my book. <laughs> wow. And it's a sci-fi book about robots. So that was strange. So... Obviously, that, you need to think what you about ended up who putting you, in there. Um, I made it slightly more broad. Oh, okay, it's slightly. <laughs> but I, I did, I did mention it. It's because it's a, it's a weird artifact. But the book has very strong uh, motherhood uh, analogies, so okay. that might be what made it 
do that. So a second question, list, that this, this one is so difficult because it, it requires a level of hubris I don't necessarily have. Well, it's, l- before we move on, let me, can, can we go back just for just a second? Okay, I'm not, sure, sure, sure. I'm not sure how you did this, but I actually broke it down. Um, into and this is why it took me a long time. I'm not sure if you just wrote uh, like I don't know. I can't see yours, but I'm looking at my in my questionnaire. Um, and I actually broke it down into different sections of readers. So I have seven levels of readers in this thing. Okay, and I think that um, I actually wrote on there that these aren't in any particular order. This is just what I thought of out of my head. So. Um, Describe the ideal readers of your book because it says readers in parentheses with the S. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I can tell you most everything I picked was 16 plus because there's a little bit of, of language and a little bit of uh, um, situations that I think may be a little bit too strong for under under 16. Not not saying that they couldn't read it or anything, but, you know, it's kind of like it's kind of like PG-13 movies. You know, your parents need to parents need to just kind of think about is is this going to work but I'll, I'll, i'm all over the board here because this well, is that's the thing and th- this is where and i'm, I'm not saying you did wrong because i'm pretty sure they would have told you if you did but here's the thing like as a guy who does marketing if i go to my client and i say what am i like what audience am i designing say your logo for he says oh everyone i said useless answer friend you can't that's that's what like you can narrow it down to a couple of things, but you can't be too broad because then the question becomes useless. Well, I mean, I did narrow it down. I mean, I, I have seven. It narrowed it down to seven things here. Um, okay. Uh, for example, history, because my book is told throughout history, right? And then the main character is uh, a female. So I said females. And the main character feels outcast because she's different. So females that may feel outcast. And then uh, we have some uh, government agency people. So I said maybe government agency people. And there's elements of uh, action and adventure. You know what I mean? So I, I did narrow right. it down. But I, I didn't know because I've never done this. I never – when you're writing your book – But that's the thing, exactly. This this is one of the things that people need to start thinking early. So yeah. they get, when they get the questionnaires, they don't spend two weeks answering it like we had to do. Yeah, and you because know – Because I, did, I, I didn't know. expect these questions either. Anyway, so, the second one. Sorry about that. No, no problem. No, no. We're, we're, we're here to analyze these things so that people have, know a bit what to expect, especially since these, these are important. I mean they sound kind of frivolous, but they are – they're very important. So the second question, this is one that was really difficult for me, is list similar well-known books. We'll use these to research media contacts and influencers who may be interested in your book. This means that, to me, that was difficult because obviously as authors, we like to think of our creations as unique little snowflakes. Yes, exactly. But you find out very quickly, like, when you start doing yeah. some research, that there's a... You know, there's or plenty just, of just, books about just looking at topics. commentaries that other people give you. Like a lot of people told me, "Oh, this is very Asimovish." I'm like, mm, "That's super flattering," but I don't know if I want to compare my work to like one one of the masters. But you have to, and this is the thing. Like, this is the part where if you're a pompous ass, you'll do super well. Like, <laughs> if you write horror and you look at your work and you go, Stephen King. Easy, and you feel that good about yourself, this question is going to be super easy for you to answer. But if you're someone with any kind of humility and you have to pick well-known books and you have to look at your fantasy book and say, and you have to say, yeah, this is kind of like George R. R. Martin or Tolkien, you need to be able to answer that question that way because that's what they want to hear. That's the kind of comparison that they're looking for. 
Well, let me ask you a question. Can you give us one of yours? I don't know how many you put, but I have maybe eight or ten. I went with Dan Simmons for one of them because one of the inspiration for how the personality of the robots in The Life Engineered comes from the Marovex in Ilium, which are main characters. And the the idea that, oh, robots can be main characters and not necessarily have specific genders and be kind of their own society and things. That That is, I don't want to say borrowed. Let's go with stolen from Dan Simmons. So, yeah, de- definitely there there is some echo of Dan Simmons in what I did. Okay, cool. Uh, I can tell you that I, I this is, again, I went probably further than I needed to because it definitely says well-known books, but I listed about eight or ten books, okay? And then I went, and because when I was writing this, I see it in my brain a little bit more cinematically. So I, I also listed about maybe seven, five or seven movies and maybe another four or five TV shows that I thought it was very similar, like not very similar, but I thought that um, uh, themes, it shared themes, you know? So I had I ended up having probably 20, 20-ish, 25-ish um, different things between the movies and the um, books themselves. And one of the books that I picked was um, Carrie by Stephen King because the uh, main character, Carrie, is really like outcast. And uh, oh, she's really yeah. she's yeah. really different than everybody else. And that's kind of what Alessandra ends up being. But that was, you know, I kind of, that was low on the list. And I was like, ah, I guess you could really kind of say this one too. Um, but anyway, so... I don't know. I, I, I didn't know what to do there because, like, again, it was really, for me, writing the book is really cinematic. I see, like, scenes and I watch them unfold inside of my mind. You know what I mean? Exactly. I don't necessarily attribute what I'm doing to a comparison basis on what other people have done. So it's, I mean, obviously, everything comes from a certain level of inspiration. Everything looks or feels like something else. But it's hard when you're that deeply involved into it to figure it out that's why i urge people if you are close to or going to get published start thinking about these things even even if you don't get that level of questionnaire from ink shares you need to know these things for yourself because you will be asked those questions and you will need that information to promote yourself so all these questions even if you don't get that specific questionnaire because i don't know quill isn't as doesn't drill as deep Still find these answers for yourself. It'll be useful. Yes, it's very useful. So the next one is um, the next one on our on our uh, questionnaire here is uh, they're going to research and pitch every media outlet they can think of. Now we know um, in the quill in the quill collection, you're not going to get this level of marketing. But again, like JF just said, uh, knowing these things and having the um, resources available to you is important. Even if you um, uh, are having to do the um, research, uh, the pitches, excuse me, yourself, um, because, you know, you're going to need to pitch to someone and, you know, because you want to sell the book, you know, the more books you sell, the better, you know, so. Yeah, and even post-campaign. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Like one of the things I listed on the uh, on, on my list was a, a podcast called the uh, Sci-Fi Tech Talk which is basically three, three, three geeks that get together and they talk about movies and they talk about the technology in movies. And I've 
back when I did this promotion, when I, when I filled out this questionnaire, I mentioned that in my list. This, these are people that I think have maybe an audience that I could talk to. But since then, I've individually contacted them and I've been on their show twice. Wow, that's so great. even if you don't have this, – this is a perfect example of even if you don't have Inkshares doing that promotion for you, build that list of podcasts and blogs and newspapers and publications that you want to be in and then do do that marketing yourself. Reach out on your own. Like Paul said, like you, you need to do it. Yeah, and you know what I did here is I um, – I listed a whole lot of media outlets, um, including things that I know that will probably will never happen. But I think it would be fun for, you know, even to attempt. For example, you know, I like to watch Jimmy Fallon. So I was like, I'm going to put Jimmy Fallon because I'm ridiculous. And I think it would be funny if they tried to contact and Jimmy Fallon maybe would be like, hey, you know what? I don't care. It's cool. But will that ever happen? You know, maybe. <laughs> you'll, you'll never know unless you try. Which That's brings, exactly right. Which brings us to, to – now, I'm skipping the fourth question because it's kind of a follow-up to the, fir- to the fourth one, that uh, third one. But the fifth okay. question is, please include below influencers you don't know who may especially uh, meaningful to your readers. Mm-hmm. And this is where you need to aim both low and high. And it, when you're talking about, like, say – Pitching to someone like Jimmy Fallon, like you know that there's 99.9% chances that this will be refused, but there's always that 0.1 chance that you'll you'll strike a chord. You'll you'll find someone that's super high profile that does get curious, and this is this is important. These are the chances you want to take. So again, this if you're going to publish a book and you get that questionnaire, write anybody you think might be interested in your book, not just people that you are you're interested in but people that you think like celebrities that you think oh that celebrity once tweeted about a book that sounds very much like mine let's try to contact them and if inkshare is not doing it for you do it yourself try not to be annoying about it try not to be obnoxious and say hey uh jack nicholson you will really like my book you probably want to approach that in a very sensitive way, in a very polite way, expecting to be rejected. But there's you've got nothing to lose by trying. What, Jack Nicholson's going to start ignoring you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he didn't know you existed. So Exactly. Well, unless he did, but... Yeah, then, well, that's then true, I guess. So <laughs> and this is something that's been very educational for me because I have pitched my books to significantly high profile people and have gotten very polite rejection letters from them but maybe next time i won't so we'll see and you know the 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 crazy thing is is like when i came to that question i was like what i don't know so my my selection is very small because i was like i don't know i have no idea like i just listed people that i like like a like a jack nicholson like i was like oh i like i like this person maybe maybe this would work because i this is all new to me and you know if I had a podcast to listen to explaining what to do, you know, at some point, then maybe I would have done a better job. Well, that's the thing. Like, I listed seven people. If I were to redo that list now, and I kind of have four ink shares because they're not at that point yet, I had three times as many. So the sixth question, please include below any potential event spaces that you think might be relevant to your book. And this makes me immediately think of Jameson Stone because he works events like a pro. And... 
this is something that you're going to want to look at. And clearly, Jameson has done already looked at that because he's already working these like the, the, the comic convention circuit right. very well to promote his book, which is genius, very well done on his part. But I, that, that is something that you need to look at. Like I was like initially, I thought once your book publishes, you want to bring your book to these events. But as Mr. Stone has proven, you don't even need to wait that long if you are capable of being that outgoing and you have a cool product and you can find a way to to go to these conventions and find the kind of people who might enjoy your book you can this is a question that can be useful now in your pre-sale situation in your crowdfunding campaign can be useful so look around to for for different literature comic book fantasy or uh, sci-fi convention and list them in those in that questionnaire if you get it and if you don't get the questionnaire just go to these places, rent a table if you can afford to, or just go there and try to pass around business cards if they'll let you. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I I feel like I missed an opportunity, but I, I I'm not I'm not upset with myself because I went to San Diego Comic Con, and you know I had never been, and I was like, you know, I really toyed with the idea of making something and passing passing it out, but I only had a, a ticket for one day. And I was like, you know, I want to have fun. I don't want to worry about passing things out. I want to enjoy myself. So, you know, like it wasn't a quote-unquote working convention for me Um, on purpose, though, you know. Because, you know, I don't, I don't, I didn't, I've never really experienced that level of convention before. I mean, we have some conventions around here where I am in South Carolina, and they're pretty, pretty cool, and they're pretty fun, and you know they get a you know a good amount of people. We're we're not talking about hundred thousand people. You know, so mm-hmm. um, I I do look back and I go, man, maybe I really should have, but I, I don't regret it. it. It's not a big deal. No, it's it's and once you, I mean, once you do have the physical book, it obviously makes for a better icebreaker. So it's there, there's definitely benefits. But we've we've also talked. I've talked about how how I went to to CanCon a few weeks back, and that mm-hmm. was specifically to sort of build contacts and how it was in a way a failure in a way certain ways a success it was kind of mitigated mm-hmm. but in a way one of the things i was trying to do at cancon is sort of get the practice of going to cons and right. engaging these people because cancon is a very very specific like it's a very industry oriented con it's like not many people go there to party and cosplay they go there to to listen to panels and participate in panels and get educated and get informed so i wanted to understand the dynamic of these things and that's that's what i'm that's one of the things i'm saying like even if you can't pull a jameson stone and go to a con and sell 100 copies of your book go to your local literature conventions or any of these events first of all to know which ones they are where they are and which ones you can or can't attend and to get comfortable and start learning with the dynamics because every one of these conventions has its own community and personality and you want to know what that is so that when you do go there for a harder sell, you know what you're dealing with. So get to it. That, that to me, I didn't realize the importance of that question when I first answered it, but now I realize that if you're going to be shaking hands and rubbing elbows and getting to know the community that you're dealing with, both for your readers and other writers – that's where it ha- that that's where a lot of it happens. Yeah, um so almost all of mine were uh like bookstores and uh you know like See, uh, I don't I don't have enough book bookstores and I should have more. Uh so, um, I have well let's see about 20 about 20 things and uh, about 16 or 17 were bookstores and then there were a couple of uh, conventions that are 
um, semi-local to me um, here in South Carolina and North Carolina and Georgia. You know, so there's some regional, maybe is a better word. Um, but that's what that's what consisted of mine. And um, because my wife actually has family in uh, another state up in the northern part of the country, you know, I put a lot of bookstores up there because I could, uh, as a teacher, I could travel all summer and the book comes out next May. So, I mean, I could travel around and go to these different places and um, not have to worry about, you know, my job because I'm off during that time. So, which is a great thing, by the way, just so everybody knows. <laughs> so the next, the next, um, the next uh, question is all about social media. It's, this um, one's it's pretty easy, but it's important. Yeah, it is. It's very important, I think, because it says, you know, include any personal social social media that you'd be willing to use for your book promotion. Now, obviously, it seems like a no-brainer thing. Like, yeah, I want to use my social media, all of it, to promote my book because I want to get it out there, you know. But you have to be careful, I think. Um, using your personal Facebook, in my opinion, might be a little bit... I don't know the term. It may not. It may not work for you because these are it, the people. It may that be. Are... Yeah, it may be too personal. But right, he, here's right. here's my take on this. I whether you use a personal your personal Facebook or not, you probably shouldn't. And I I know I haven't. I've created one that like if someone wants to find my personal page, and most people that's what they do. But I have a page that's specifically for me as a writer. The problem with social media is an an engine that needs a lot of warming up before it can do anything for mm-hmm. you. Yep. If you have a Facebook page or Twitter account or any of these things and you, 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 you put them out two weeks before your book is released or in the middle of your campaign, they're no, not going to serve you at all. And this is, again, this is where this question becomes important. This is, this is where the preparation comes into play. You're looking at publishing a book. You haven't even decided that you're publishing yet. You're, you're not even on InkShare. This is just something that's in the back of your mind. Make those accounts immediately like, right stop stop the podcast and go create a twitter account for yourself <laughs> don't or stop yourself as a writer create no, it while come, you're they listening can, they can come back to it yeah. create a, f- a professional facebook page for yourself as a writer go on goodreads and create your profile there any other social media if you're you take a lot of picture like instagram First of all, you'll be reserving the names, which is super important because you right. want to have names that are easy to remember that are that relates to you. So if you're using a pen name or if you want to use your name, but make sure that you reserve these things now and start building traffic to them. Start filling those those media these outlets with content because the day that you decide that you want to start the promotion machine for your book for your book for your crowdfunding campaign, you want there to already be meat on those bones for people to chew on, not have like a bare barren wasteland for them to wander into right and um you know everything including you know like youtube even i mean you don't have to mm-hmm. necessarily have a like whole lot paul's of... using youtube for for stuff that's great yeah i like i i like to use youtube um but it's just a personal preference i mean whatever you like i mean i have an instagram i have a facebook i have a twitter i have a youtube you know um i did not at the time that i filled this out have a website um so i've since gotten a website Oh yeah, uh, definitely get yourself a website since that's, I mean that's 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 important. Yeah, that's basically your home. And there's there's a lot of work involved in getting a proper website done so that it looks good and has some content to it. So again, this is all stuff you want to have done ahead of time. Yep, and uh, you know that's that's easy stuff to really do. I think, Um, you know, and if you try to make it 
uh, a habit to post something at least once a day on all of these things. More, if possible, once or twice a day, but that just keeps the stream flowing for anybody who is out there following you or, you know, on any of your social media. And uh, when, like JF said, when it gets time to really promote, you've got that that um, built-in following kind of, you know, so... Uh, the next the next part is all about awards that may be relevant to your book. I only have one award relevant to my book, and that is that I made the top five, six, the top six of the Sword and Laser con- Collection contest on Inkshot. Well, actually, book. I read this different. This these are actually awards that you want your book to be listed for once it gets published, because obviously, oh, if I did once not read that right. Exactly. Once your book is published, you want it to get accolades. You want it to 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 be noticed in the industry, and to to do that, you want the book to win awards. But for a book to win awards, it needs to be nominated. So that was people clear, need to I point. I, I maybe not. I, me, I know. I, I I think I read it correctly. So. Like I, I wrote in things like you want to research what the awards for your particular genre are. You want to make sure that your book will be eligible, which is kind of very difficult. Like, say, a good example for science fiction, the Hugo Awards. I'm not sure Inkshares can list things for Hugo Awards right now because they're not a quote-unquote traditional publishing house. I see. So there, there's a lot of weirdness to some of these things, and Inkshares does have a very bizarre position in the publishing industry at this time well but you know being you, a hybrid you, publisher is is, exactly. is difficult it, you know i mean if you're going to be a so new still you know if you're going to be a, a trailblazer you need to expect that some people are not going to be ready for you but maybe maybe by next year the hugo awards the uh the, the nomination things will be cleared up so that it can include something like ink shares I don't know. The The important things is what you want to look. Obviously, you want to be like, there, there's some no-brainers. Goodreads Choice Awards applies to any book. So you want that listed in there. But you want to look at what your particular genre of writing, what the awards are for it. And you can look also just at regional award. Like if if, if your hometown has an award for, for artistic endeavors, you want to try that because any media attention is good media attention. Yep. And now I feel like I need to send an email. Because I did not do that right. <laughs> well, you you still have time. I mean, I oh, yeah. te- technically until the day you publish, you still have time. So uh, I I might actually add a few things because I've as time has gone by, I've gotten more savvy about how the industry works. So I know a few more things. So I'll, I'll <laughs> I'm looking at this questionnaire right now, just going over it, and I think I will update it and send it back to Inkshares because I think for some of these marketing questions, there's better things for them to do. We need to compare so, notes. <laughs> oh, probably yeah, we probably will. But we're we're definitely running out of, out of time. Oh, I have yeah, a thing totally. to go to, so we're going to try to wrap this up. The last question may not apply to everyone. It says, "Please list any professional or academic organization slash communities you're part of that might be interested in your book." For me, that was no one. But let's say your book is well. Here's a good example. There's a good example is uh, Herb. The book about uh, cooking with cannabis that Inkshares is publishing. There are definitely communities, organizations that are very specific that work towards the legalization of marijuana in certain states, or that just uh, any committee or uh, that that regulates the dispensaries in places like Washington or uh, what is it, uh, Colorado. 
these are places, these are would be organization that the author of Herb, I can't remember his name, would need to contact because they will be interested in his book. Yeah, and uh, for me, I put in a few things because, like, I am a teacher, so I put in my school district exactly. that uh, maybe high school high schools in the district might want to order it because there's they may say, hey, you know, this is uh, a teacher in our school district, and maybe they uh, maybe they want to stock the book and say, hey, you know, just kind of show that even you know teachers can do stuff like this too. You know what I mean? Um, and this is not some obscure random person on the other side of the country or the other side of the world. You know, this is someone who, you know, works down the street, you know. So I added that stuff, you know, uh, a couple of different schools and, and school districts that I have worked for. So, but anyway, I think that brings us about to the end. Um, so, exactly. Mr. I, JF. Absolutely. Anything I'd else? like us to, yeah, I'd like us next week to actually visit the second questionnaire and go over some of the details of what happens later. Because one of the things we were talking to in the pre-show is how you and I are dealing with a lot of little questions that aren't in this questionnaire, little details, little pieces of information that, again, can be prepared in advance, should be prepared in advance if you want to do it well, but that kind of came out of nowhere. Right. So we'll be touching on that next week. Yeah, so this week we kind of this was the marketing uh, base base questionnaire that they sent to us. So next week we will definitely hit up that other questionnaire, which is more uh, about our book, more than the marketing of our book, you know. So and uh, the things that you have to do to be an author. So um, well, I uh, think that's going to wrap it up because, like you said, you got somewhere to be, and I have nowhere to be, but I'll just pretend I do. So <laughs> I've got somewhere to be, Jeff. I got I got to go. We're done. Oh, we're very busy people. I mean, we are writers after all. Yeah, exactly. So thank you, for, thank you very much for listening, everyone. And uh, good writing. Have fun. <laughs>